Welcome to TTM Cast, your sports collectibles podcast. Sponsored by CGC Cards, card grading all in one place. CGC Cards is devoted to expert grading of collectible cards, including TCGs, sports cards, and non sports cards. Sponsored by Collects, the free app for scanning and valuing your cards. Use the app to build your collection and buy and sell with other collectors. Turn the hobby into your side hustle. And by SportsCollectorsDaily.com. If it happens in the hobby, you'll find it on SportsCollectorsDaily.com. And sponsored by GemRate.com. The latest grading statistic from the four major grading companies is just a click away. Visit GemRate.com. It's free. And now, here's our host, Drew Pelto. Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to TTM Cast, your sports collectibles podcast, where we cover all things related to TTM, sports cards, autographs, collecting all kinds of things. This is season six, episode number two. I am Drew Pelto here with you on January 20th. You're listening to a nationally ranked sports collectibles podcast. Well, we've got a guest co-host in this week as well. We are joined by Lee Alexander. You may... uh. Any long-time listeners may uh, have uh, heard Lee's name come up before. He was on the episode 10 of Season 5 almost a year ago now. It's March 9th of 2023. So, Lee, welcome back to the show. And just, uh, you know, tell the listeners a little about, you know, what do you collect? What's, uh, what, what are your big projects that you've got? Well, thanks for having me, first of all. It's good to be back. Uh, as far as personal collections, you know, just kind of general TTM across the four major North American sports and then branching out a little bit into soccer, boxing, and what have you. Been on a little bit of an unintentional sabbatical with it for the most part lately, but I've just recently got a few lines going out. So hopefully, we can kind of get a little momentum built up with that and get back into the swing of things. I definitely feel that. I mean, I've been getting super lazy on stuff. I sent some out in November. Most of those have come back, and now I'm kind of sitting here with you know a kind of a slow mail days here. It's like, well, I guess I better put the pen to the paper here. So we'll talk about that a little bit more uh, later on in the episode, though. But Lee's going to be joining us here for probably the next three weeks here, maybe some more in the future as well. Troy is out with some uh, youth basketball commitments as a coach. So uh, best of luck to his teams there. But uh, good to have Lee on here again. We may have a couple others uh, joining us in the future as well when Troy is out. Well, you know, the door's always open, of course, here for uh, anybody that's been on the show before. And like I said, you know, Lee and I go back quite a ways, good 20 years we've known each other online. So uh, so we got him on, and uh, yeah, good to have him here. But uh just look around the sports world right now. I guess, I mean, the biggest news from last week, of course, it was wild card weekend in the NFL, and I uh, got the divisional games coming up today. Have you, been, uh, have you been following any of the football playoffs at all? I have, and I can officially say as a proud New York Giants fan that we are tied for the most wins in the 2023-2024 playoff season out of the NFC East. Yes, that's uh interesting week there. I mean, I live, you know, I live a mile and a half from the Cowboys stadium, and there was just such a pall over the entire city of Arlington after uh, around Saturday, around Sunday evening going on into the week there, and it's just been fun to sit down and kind of point and laugh and everything. I mean, I can't really say much, a Browns fan here, so that was gross, I'll just say that, so yeah. Oh, hey, it's a step in the right direction. I mean, you know, say five, six years ago, Browns in the playoffs seemed like such a foreign concept. At least they're getting their foot in the door now. There's still a little work to be done, obviously, but hey, it's, it's better than some teams, hence the Giants. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I do like getting in there at least, but yeah, the the injury bug finally kind of had been biting the Browns all year, and they finally uh, finally, finally took them down there. But the Chiefs, the Lions, the Bucks, and Bills all higher seeds holding serves, so uh, they'll all advance. Uh, Going to be checking out the games this weekend as well, or kind of following at arm's length at this point, or what's, where are you at on that? 
I'll be watching if I have time. I'll absolutely be keeping up with games as they happen. As far as sitting down getting to watch, that depends on, you know, the uh, children in the house and how many different TVs they can occupy at one time, which can be kind of a amazing feat in itself at times. Yep, yep. Uh, so what's uh, anything going on for you uh, in your collection the last few weeks? Have you made any, uh, any like, purchases, trades, anything like that? Any interesting pickups there? Uh, mainly just made a quick run to the local LCS, mostly just grabbed some supplies, but they've still got that box of 89 Fleer Cellos on there. So, you know, you and I kind of talked about all the Randy Johnson variants. So anytime I'm in there at three bucks a pop, I figure it's worth picking up one just on the off chance of getting that or, you know, one of the Bill Ripken variants. But no luck, but did get a good, decent amount of TTM fodder out of those. That's always a fun set to work with there. I mean, it's uh, having the gray borders like that, like any color marker stands out pretty well with those and just so many just simple headshots and everything, so it you know, gives a nice spot for the guy to sign on. Right, really is an underrated set for TTMing once you actually start going through and looking at the cards. Well, for me personally, I haven't done a whole lot of, I uh, haven't made any major pickups. A couple of uh, trades and uh, eBay purchases. Got a, uh, picked up a kind of smeared 1988 Topps trade Roberto Alomar. That's rookie card autograph right there. So when I was able to trade seven commons to get that, it's like, yeah, even though it's smudged, I will gladly take that. So, Got that added into the collection here recently, but aside from that, just uh, preparing for spring training right now, so definitely looking forward to that. You going to be uh, going to try any t- spring training TTMs at all at any point? Uh, probably minimal. You know, I'll go through and see if there's any decent managers that might have somewhat of a reasonable success rate, but as far as players, I've pretty much all but given up on that just with the failures of the past four or five seasons or so. <laughs> so are you going to be attending spring training or just riding in? I'm actually, yeah, I'm going to be going out to Arizona for a week on the 21st through 28th of February. So we'll see the uh, 15 teams out there. So for anybody scoring at home, that's uh, the Rangers, the Mariners, the Giants, the Padres, the A's, the Brewers, the Dodgers, the Angels, the Royals, Rockies, Guardians, Reds, White Sox, Cubs, and Diamondbacks. So hopefully I'll have a chance to see each of those teams once if I can manage to pull that off. And if not, well, just try to hit up as many as I can there in that time. That should be a fruitful endeavor, hopefully, with that many lines out. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping. I mean, all the, unfortunately, all the games are 1 o'clock starts, so it's not like I can do like a 1 o'clock game and then you know, catch a 4 or 7 or something elsewhere, but I'll do what I can with it at least. I'll have my evenings free at least and hopefully see a little bit of Arizona there in that time too, so it should be good. Uh, I've plenty of blog posts to follow along with during that trip as well, hopefully. Probably. I'm gonna, I've kind of put the YouTube channel on hiatus here for a bit, but I'll hopefully be uh, bringing up some videos on there and stuff and posting around in various places, and I'll probably be writing about it on uh, Sports Card, uh, sports Collectors Daily there as well. So, yeah. Well, we've got uh, later on coming up in this week's show, we've got Les Wolf that's going to be joining us. We'll be talking on some Baseball Hall of Fame with him, so make sure you tune in for that. We've got all of our regular segments on here with Baker's Dozen covering all the news stories from the previous week in the hobby. As I said, we've got more from Les coming up right after that, then Making the Grade covering everything in the world of card grading. Got stamp approval where Lee and I will give our thumbs up from something from the previous week. You never know what it's going to be. We try to try to limit it to anything non-sports related, just to you know prove that we're not just a bunch of freaking sports nerds here. But we've got other stuff going on in our lives as well. We've got a, of course, I mean, it does end up going sports occasionally. So yeah, I mean, whatever you got works well for that. We've got the Vern Rap Minute covering deaths in the world of sports, celebrity music, movies, and politics. And of course, the main reason why we all are here. That's our TTM Returns. If you want to get in contact with us, you can email us. Lee, what is the email address here on the show? The show can be reached at ttmcast at yahoo.com. There you go. And if you want to reach me directly, you can go with dfwgrapher at gmail.com. All right, let's get right into things. Next up, we have Baker's Dozen. 
Baker's Dozen, sponsored by SportsCollectorsDaily.com. Smart collectors turn to Sports Collectors Daily to stay up to date. From new releases to incredible collections hitting the auction block, news from inside the business of sports collectibles, and much more, Sports Collectors Daily has it, all with no subscription cost. SC Daily also delivers a live look at the most watched sports card auctions on eBay for every sport. Sign up to get the headlines in your email for free or just visit the website whenever you like. With 16,000 stories in the archive going back 16 years, there is always plenty to read at sportscollectorsdaily.com. Baker's Dozen is a new summary of all things related to the collectibles world from the previous week, so we'll go through anything that comes up with news, releases, card shows, anything like that. Just want to remind everybody, we have that $10 collects coupon for their marketplace. If you want to get in on that, just send us uh, your name and your, I believe, name, email, and your collects name. We'll get that forwarded on, and you'll get a $10 marketplace coupon for their, uh, for their app. I also have a weekly article up on Sports Collectors Daily this week. We'll be talking a little bit. I think I'm going to be writing actually a little bit about spring training coming up for this uh, coming week's article. So make sure you check that out. Once again, that is sportscollectorsdaily.com. For anybody out there who's interested in buying some autographs, some mystery autographs, St. Louis Sports Collectors has a grab bag sale going on right now. 50% off on their grab bags that runs through January 24th. That's this coming Wednesday. Use the code GRAB50 to get a hold of that. Take a look at some auction news here. We've got uh, the Heritage Winter Sports Auction is going to run through January 27th. They have the beautiful Monster Collection. I don't know, Lee, if you've seen anything about this, but they call the T206 set the Monster, just because, I mean, it was the biggest set early on, 500-plus cards. Well, there's an anonymous collector out there that has gotten them all. Well, maybe not all of them. I think it's 520 of them in mid to high grades, the best ones he could possibly find, and put them together into one collection that he's called the Beautiful Monster. And he's now selling them off individually. That's, that's, I mean, that's a heck of a feat there to come up with that many in there. And really cool to see it up for auction right now. Oh, that's just incredible. You know, just finding any of those in those mid to high grade conditions is enough of a task on its own. But to buy 520 in one collection, I don't even know if I can count as high as the number that that's probably going to end after auction. Yeah, I'm, that's easily six figures. Probably going to hit the sevens and maybe even the eight figures once. So when all is said and done, all of them are combined. But... The auction also has the highest graded Babe Ruth rookie card uh, out there. It's a blank back one from 1915. They also have a PSA 10 Michael Jordan rookie card, an 86-87 Fleer basketball uncut sheet, and a signed 1949 Leaf Jackie Robinson rookie card. Or I believe it's his rookie card. It's at least a very early one there, but signed by him. That's going to be a really cool one to see there as well. Once again, it's the Heritage Winter Sports Auction running for about another week through the 27th of January. There'll definitely be some people reaching pretty deep into the pockets on that one, that's for sure. Got some uh, Upper Deck and NHL uh, alumni news there. You want to take that one? Sure. It looks like Upper Deck and the NHL alumni extension new deal includes digital trading cards. Length and other terms are undisclosed at this point. You may know Upper Deck has NHL and NHLPA rights, as well as exclusive deals with Connor McDavid and Connor Bedard as well. I'm optimistic that this hopefully might lead to a few extra sets like the SP Legends edition that came out last year. Just fun to get cards where you're going to, you know, get players that role players, enforcers, you know, people that aren't really going to be featured in most mainline sets these days. It was kind of a nice throwback. I mean, how many other card sets over the last 10 years could you pull a Jim Cummins card out of, you know? Right, exactly. It's always cool seeing that. I mean, like I said, there's those role players and such that you get guys who are in like that uh, leader and uh, 
their throwback set 20 years ago. I'm trying to get signed and everything, and they did some of those products with the enforcers there that ITG did, but it's really cool to see Upper Deck now finally saying, all right, yeah, let's go ahead and get some of these fan favorites represented. Absolutely. I'm just hopeful it's not all strictly digital. I'm hoping there are actually some physical, tangible collections that may feature a lot of these players as well, because that's right in my wheelhouse for collecting as far as hockey goes. Absolutely, and I, I bet there will be some regular stuff there. The, uh, they're definitely highlighting the digital stuff, but car, I mean, the hard, the actual, you know, having the card in your hand is still going to be, I think, number one still in the collectibles uh, industry and hobby, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of hockey, we've got some new releases here leading off with Opeechee Hockey. It's coming out on January 24th, so middle of this coming week. In that, you're going to see 10 cards per pack with 18 packs per box. Uh, you're going to have one red base parallel per box, along with three Opeechee Premier and four Opeechee playing cards in each box. Pre-sale prices on that are currently running about $90. Seems like that's a little bit of an increase. If I recall right, I believe last year the Opeechee hobbies were releasing around maybe 60 or 70 yeah, it seems everything's gone up a little bit there. So, I mean, still, it's still fortunately affordable. It's still under $100 there, but, yeah, definitely uh, getting, getting up a little bit more there. I think the OPG playing cards have always been a cool insert set, too, as well. You know, just kind of makes you almost want to put together the 52-card set, because I'm sure they're probably not very expensive, given they're falling at four per box, you know, no relic or autograph or anything that desirable by most collectors. It'd be kind of a fun thing to put together for at least one year. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's, yeah, one every other pack, basically, in that box. So that's not, not bad odds at all. We've got some uh, basketball stuff coming up here as well from uh, Donruss. Well, it looks like we've got your 23-24 Donruss basketball slated to drop January the 24th. You're looking at 10 packs per box, 30 cards per pack, with one autograph per box, 30 inserts or parallels per box, and it looks like your pre-sale prices currently are listed at $330. So 330 you know. For modern basketball, you're just not going to get a hobby box much cheaper than that unless you're going NBA hoops. But, you know, for 330 you're going to pretty much live or die by that one autograph, I guess, as far as your actual value. Yeah, it definitely seems that way. I mean, I don't know how many cards are going to be in the set there, but you're still getting 300 cards per box, so you may get close to a set off of uh, something like that and may even be able to pull off the full complete set there for any set collectors out there. And, of course, your Wembyama parallels will be highly sought after, so you don't oh, yeah, to look that's... out for those. Yep, that's definitely going to be the big one. Uh, we've got some baseball coming up from Tops. We've got the 2023 Stadium Club set coming out on January 24th. We're going to have both Hobby and Blasters on those. The Hobby boxes are eight cards per pack with 16 packs per box. Blasters are running five cards per pack with eight packs per box. Hobby boxes, you're going to see two autographs, one chrome, and one triumvirate insert all in there. Pre-sale prices on Hobby boxes running 130. Blasters are going to be running about 25. Well, Stadium Club's one of the more enjoyable newer sets. I like how they actually have the throwback players scattered around in there as well. That's always a plus. It's always been a very photography-driven set, which I have always really liked. I mean, you go back to the 91 Stadium Club when that first came out, so many great photos in there. And they had in the regular top set what I call the Stadium Club trickle-down effect, where any photos that got rejected for Stadium Club that were still really good usually end up in the top set there. So it's uh, kind of cool to see they brought back Stadium Club here the last few years and that it's still just as great on photography now. No, absolutely. A good throwback for us old guys that are old enough to remember the first round of those. Exactly, exactly. Uh, we've got some uh, little NASCAR coming out here from uh, Panini as well. All right, and it looks like with that, we've got slated here the 2023 Panini Prime Racing, also noted for January the 24th. But this one, it looks like you're getting only one pack per box, so you're getting seven cards per pack. You get three autos, three memorabilia, and one base or parallel with a pre-sale price of $260. 
So basically, your one box is essentially one pack, but you're guaranteed right. six hits plus one base or parallel. So guaranteed to get a hit at the very least. Yeah, I mean, a 260, that's, that's kind of one of the lower price points for some of the uh, stuff that has the bigger hits in it there with three R's and three mem in there. I mean, that's, uh, that's, that's not bad. I mean, especially when you compare it to some of the stuff that goes into the five figures there once you get into things like, you know, Flawless and National Treasures and all those sorts of things. Absolutely. Now, with this being racing, this is just strictly NASCAR. This doesn't include any of the Formula One type. Right, yeah, this is just NASCAR on this one, yes. Okay. Yep, yep. I uh, got some football coming out from Panini as well with their Phoenix product for 2023. Panini Phoenix comes out January 26th, so a little later in the week. I think that's a Friday release, it looks like. You're going to see five cards per pack with 12 packs per box. A lot of stuff in there. If you're the type that likes getting the uh, collecting the rainbows of a player, getting all the colors of uh, parallels, well, you've got a lot of those in here. Because you've got two autographs and one memorabilia, plus four base SPs. So some nice short prints in there as well. Two silver parallels, ten numbered parallels, 12 rookie cards, two SP inserts, and one color burst per box. Possibly a partridge in a pear tree in there as well. That's $375, the price on that one. But Phoenix always seems to be a really popular uh, set here among collectors lately, just because of so many of those color, different color parallels and variations and such. All right, now just really nice-looking cards, too, you know, with all the different backgrounds and colors and variations. It's a fun set to open. Yeah. And we've got uh, some uh, multi-sport stuff coming out here from Upper Deck in the next uh, week or so as well. All right, looks like we've got the 2023 Upper Deck Goodwin Champions. Looks like blasters are available on January 24th, but hobby boxes have already been released. Looks like with this one, we're looking at five cards per pack and seven packs per box, plus a bonus pack of four base turquoise parallels. And, of course, Goodwin Champions being a multi-sport set, you just never really know what you're going to get out of these packs. So it's kind of a fun open just to see the varied range of cards that can come out of that. Yeah. And it's always a fun like one. sell price on Blasters for $30. Yeah. That's always a fun one. Like you said there, you never know what you're going to get in there. And so with Upper Deck, you know, you've got – you made up with some hockey guys. You made up with some golfers. They occasionally have maybe some baseball or basketball guys that are under contract to at least appear on the cards there. And – I think even, like, uh, what's her name? Shannon Miller, former USA gymnast I know, was in one of those products a few years ago because she TTMs and signed one of those for me. So, yeah, you never know what you're going to get, and it's always, it's always fun, if, at least if you like any kind of other sports out there. Right, definitely. A good, good variety. Cards that you will not get in any other set, you can definitely come across in there. Yeah. We've got some of the show news coming up here as well. A big one coming up. These are all for uh, next weekend that are going to be taking place. We've mentioned the Virginia Beach Card Show a number of times. The Virginia Beach Card, Comic Book, and Collectibles Expo at the Virginia Beach Fieldhouse. Like I said, that's next week, the 27th through 28th. It's going to be free admission to this show as well. 250 tables that are going to be there. Plus, they're going to have a lot of autograph guests. From the baseball world, there's Sam Allen, Mickey Morandini, Milt Thompson, and Denny McLean, Wayne Gomes. You've got uh, basketball, basketball Hall of Famer Bob Dandridge is going to be there, as well as football players Larry Brown, Shamarco Thomas, Hall of Famer Dwight Stevenson, Mark Mosley, former kicker for the Redskins and the Browns. You're going to have Jermaine Lewis, and Natron Means, because Natron means business. So if you're out there on the East Coast, go and check that out. Virginia Beach Card, Comic, and Collectibles Expo next weekend with free admission. Some uh, West Coast shows coming up here as well, don't we? It looks like in Pasadena, California, for the weekend of January 27th and 28th, we have the Front Row Card Show by ESPN Radio. Taking place at the Pasadena Convention Center from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. Admission $10. Kids 10 and under get in free 230 tables worth of vendors. Kind of cool to see that. We haven't had too many West Coast shows mentioned on here. 
No, certainly not. With 230 tables, I feel like you'd be hard-pressed to not find something you could add to your collection out of that much of a variety. Yeah, absolutely. Another one on the West Coast, if you go up a little further north to Fairfield, California, I think it's located between the Bay Area and Sacramento when I check the map. The Solano Town Center is going to have a three-day show, 26 through 28, so Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, $5 admission, and according to the list, there are 350 tables at this, so another kind of big show out there on the West Coast with a fairly affordable admission, so West Coast Collections, you've got a couple of great options there for next weekend, so uh, really cool to see uh, more West Coast shows coming up like that, and hopefully we'll get a chance to talk about a few more of those over the next few, uh, few weeks and months. 350 tables, wow. Yeah, that's. I was shocked when I saw that, especially when it's like, wait, it's at this, like, it said inside the old Forever 21 at Solano Town Center. I'm like, okay, I don't know anything about Solano Town Center, but are 350 tables in that space? That's, 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 sounds pretty darn good. I mean, I guess maybe a bigger mall or something like that. Right. No, it'll definitely be interesting to check out. Anybody that's able to make it out to that will have to kind of document how that goes for us. Yeah. Uh, we had a listener note that we want to cover here as well. Uh, Brian Murray, who's been a longtime listener of the podcast and, contacts me often about any kind of info and questions and such, but he's uh, been getting a couple things sent back to him by the post office. It looks like they are not permitting you to send thick packages with just stamps by dropping them into a mailbox. You've been sending out some uh, stuff like baseballs and such. I know whenever I would send baseballs, usually on the return envelope, you just put your stamps on there, something like that. So it looks like now they're going to require that those items be taken to the postal counter or have a label printed on them. No uh, using the kiosk or the drop box, maybe a label-only kind of thing. So it may heavily affect people TTMing any larger items out there. So uh, that's, that's kind of weird that they've just suddenly cut that off. I'd seen it from a few people here and there, like returns from Paul Molitor were having troubles for a while with uh, his local post office rejecting them. But now Brian's saying that, yeah, his post office is rejecting them as well. So this may be a nationwide trend to look out for, unfortunately. Right. Like you said, it's been kind of a hit or miss thing where you'd hear off and on certain offices doing it, but it could be something coming down from higher up to where we're going to see a more widespread trend of that happening. Hopefully not the case. But so A quick reminder as well to everybody, on Monday, postage costs for a first-class letter will now go up to from 66 to 68 stamps. Or 68, let's try that again. From 66 cents to 68 cents for a stamp. So uh, make sure if you haven't gotten, well, hopefully you've all gotten stocked up on your forever stamps, but if you're, if you're the type like me that uses the regular numbered stamps quite often, you're going to have to go and buy a couple sheets of two-cent stamps to make up for that. So unfortunately, costs rising once again for us. And we're up to Yarmir Yager for mailing a letter now. Yeah, there we go. I like that, yeah. Well, next up, we're going to have more with less, so let's uh, go into that. And now, it's time for more from Les with hobby legend, Les Wolf. It's football season. There's no better time to get your NFL stars, rookies, and veteran cards graded. CGC Cards offers fast turnaround times, so you get your cards back even faster. They have crystal clear holders, so your cards shine. And best yet, all starting at just $12 a card. Head to cgccards.com to start creating your cards today. More with Les is where we talk to Hobby Hall of Famer Les Wolf. And speaking of the Hall of Fame, we're talking Baseball Hall of Fame here this week. Uh, you know, Lee, we've got the uh, info coming out from the Baseball Hall of Fame on Tuesday about who's going to be getting in for this class. I don't know if you expect a battle, but uh, any, any predictions on who you think is going to get in and who's, if anybody's going to get close but still be stuck on the outside? 
I have to be honest with you, it's just it's become so unpredictable. The people I wouldn't think have ever had a chance of getting in will get in first ballot almost, and then you've got guys just lingering around on the outside that just like Alan Trammell. I mean, how how is he still not in there at this point? Oh, Trammell's in. Trammell has gotten in, but Lou Whitaker still is sitting on the outside. Oh, you can scratch that one. That's <laughs> <laughs> all good. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, yeah. There's there's a few that yeah. I mean. You look at that, and like you said, you know, I mean, a guy like Trammell is in, but Lou Whitaker, who put up just as good of numbers, it seems, as the second baseman, it seems like those two are inseparable in there, and yet one's in, one's not. You see a guy like, uh, what's the name, the catcher from a few years ago from the Cardinals back in the 70s. I'm totally blanking on his name right now. Uh, what's his name? Yeah, totally blanking on his name now, but uh, Ted Simmons. There we go. Ted Simmons gets in. I'm like... I don't think he even really got any consideration. He was around on the first ballot, and then they put him in on the Veterans Committee. So, uh, yeah, unpredictable is definitely a good uh, good word for it there. All right, just very, very inconsistent across the board as far as who gets in and who doesn't. Yeah, yeah. So, like I said, we're going to be talking about that with Les Wolf. so let's go to him with more with Les. All right, we are here with more from Les, with Les Wolf joining us. Uh, hey, thanks for being on the show, and uh, first time back since uh, since everything has happened over the last couple of months here. Yeah, it's terrible. Complete shock. You know, I'm glad that uh, you picked up the reins and we're still doing this uh, show. You know, Jeff would be happy. Yeah, that's one of the things his family said was they said, hey, we we definitely, Jeff would want to see it continue going. And so glad to have you on board here once again. And we'll talk a little bit of Baseball Hall of Fame here this week since, I mean, we're, what, five days away from getting the uh, all the uh, announcements made here on who's getting in and out of this year's class. So definitely, uh, definitely an exciting time for that. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, so just uh, wanted to kind of give a rundown of the ballot, just kind of, you know, get your thoughts on a few guys and all that. And, I mean, before any of this, how much does a Hall of Fame induction help a player's value? Because, I mean, in some cases you get a guy like, you know, King Griffey Jr., where it's obvious he was going to be getting in, like, from almost day one of his career, it seemed like. And then you've got guys like, you know, Barry Bonds, who's not in yet, but it doesn't seem to have really affected demand on him at all. How much does it uh, does it really help guys getting that extra, the three letters after the name? Well, it it makes them a lot of money, that's for sure. Yeah. From the, from the card companies to the collectors all wanting to have their autograph, uh, it's high, they become highly in demand. Yeah. I mean, definitely, you look at a guy like Harold Baines, for example. I mean, not big on the hobby radar before getting in the Hall of Fame, then suddenly he gets in, and well, I'm sure he's making a few extra dollars there. He's become a better signer and stuff as well. Yeah, I still don't think he's a Hall of Famer, though. You, you won't see any arguments out of me against you on that. That's, yeah, it's, uh, it was a, sh- yeah. a surprise to me to see him get in there. I kind of think that there's a bunch of guys that are in the Hall of Fame right now that are really compilers instead of mm-hmm. Hall of Famers. Yep. As much as Don Sutton, God rest his soul, was a super nice guy, and I met him numerous times, there's no way he should be a Hall of Famer. Yeah, yeah. So just yeah. Uh, want to take a look at the ballot here a little bit. I mean, uh, first off, well, just we've already had the veterans uh, ballots come through, and uh, Jim Leland, manager, has uh, gotten in, so... Kind of an interesting pick there. I mean, it's a guy who won, what, one World Series as a manager, but always had teams that were in contention, at least. Yeah, I mean, he was, you know, if you let him in, why don't you let Chuck Tanner in then? Yeah, yeah. You know, there's a, there's a lot, there's a lot to be said of like who they let in. And the whole of, especially baseball, the Hall of Fame has really become a popularity contest. Yeah. You know, if you have friends that are on the board or relatives or something, you're going to get in. You know, you can't tell me that, um, Rick Farrell belongs in, you know, his brother was on the board. That's how he got in. Mm-hmm. You know, you got guys like that. I mean, God rest their souls. You know, they're in. Thank God for them. But, 
I I think that we should have like only uh, the the elite of the elite get in, yeah. like the Mazes, the Manos, the Griffies, those guys, first ballot Hall of Famers. You don't need these guys that hang on. I mean, you got Billy Wagner on there, and like I was shocked. You know, I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. You know? That's uh, that's one I'm definitely going to be getting to in a bit because that's uh, there's some interesting numbers out there on him as well there. So I mean, he was a good ball player. He made a bunch oh, yeah. of All Star teams, but. Is he a Hall of Famer? I would say no. Yeah. And, he, you know, he, you know, he, he's competing with a Bruce Suter or a Mariano Rivera or Goose Gossage. And it took Gossage forever to get in. And Gossage legitimately is a Hall of Famer. You know, yeah. Hoyt Wilhelm, those guys, they made their money as relievers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Billy Wagner was good. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not knocking him as a player. But if you say to me he's a Hall of Famer, I'm kind of surprised about that. I don't think so. If I were on the board, if I was on the committee, I would not vote for him. We've got a total of 12 first-timers on the ballot right now. So I'm just going to name them all off here. I mean, there's a few guys that are obvious that they're not going to be getting anywhere close, but there's one on there that you can almost guarantee and write him in right now is getting in there. And Adrian Beltre. Beltre leading it off. Yep. You've got, I mean, Joe Maurer is a good possibility up there. Bartolo Colon is a favorite of mine, but I don't think he's ever going to get in at all. And a lot of kind of also-rans that are on there. You've got guys like, you know, Chase Utley, David Wright, Matt Holliday, Adrian Gonzalez, Jose Batista, Jose Reyes, Victor Martinez, James Shields, and Brandon Phillips. Any of those names move the needle for you at all? Why don't we go over them like one, you know, one or two at a time? Okay. Yeah, we'll start. I mean, we just mentioned Adrian Beltran. He's an obvious one. Yeah, I think he, sure. he's a lock. I actually yeah. think David Wright is a he's he's like on the borderline there. Yeah. I mean, he was, you know, he he's he fits the what I would call the Don Mattingly class. Yeah. Guy that has good statistics, got hurt, shortened his career. He should be in the Hall of Fame, I would say. David Wright, yes. Nice. Uh, Adrian Gonzalez, I mean, how many All-Star games did he make? He made quite a few. He was good, but yeah. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. Um, who else was there? Bartolo Colon is more of uh, a joke, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. He, you know, I, I liked him. He was, you know, it was kind of humorous watching him play, yeah. you know, and, and managing to keep his career going. But is he a Hall of Famer? Um, I would say no. Um, I think he kind of fits in that compiler category a little bit. I mean, he played forever. He had 250 wins and 2,500 strikeouts, but he had one Cy Young, and that was his only award, his only time leading the league in anything. So, Does a guy deserve to be in on one, on one Cy Young? I would say no. No. Joe Maurer had a what two or three batting titles. Yep. He was he was he was the premier catch one of the premier catches at the time as a hitter. Uh, his fielding I don't think was all that great. Um, he's on the he's he'd be on the cusp. I don't I don't think he should be in the Hall of Fame. Oddly enough, Joe Maurer actually won three Gold Gloves, which I that that may say more about the Gold Glove voters more than anything. But he had three. Well, I wonder who who was competing against then if he got three then. That's true, yeah. Um, well, I mean, some of them may have come when he moved to first base as well. I didn't see uh, what the positional breakdown was there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, couple other guys. I mean, Chase Utley was mentioned. Uh, he's right there with uh, David Wright in terms. If you look at, like the, uh, if you want to get into the sabermetric stuff, he's right up there with David Wright when it comes to war and all that kind of stuff. What do you think of him? I think he was a very good ball player. Mm-hmm. He was actually a funny guy. Yeah. We went to Philadelphia, my family. We do different stadiums, and that was one of the stadiums. We, they were playing Washington. We were staying at the hotel with them. And my kid, you know, Utley was like the best player on the Phillies, him and Ryan Howard. And Utley comes down, 
and he goes, grabs, picks up some food and he's going back up. So my kids started, you know, wanted to get his autograph. So they got his autograph and they said, what do you guys want to do? Come up to my room next? <laughs> I thought <laughs> it was kind of funny. I said, no. <laughs> but I, I think he's a, he was a very, very good ball player. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's once again on the cusp. You know, uh, if you have a weak ballot um, of guys, you know, you don't have a clear cut guy like Adrian Beltre. I think he will get in. Excuse me, him and David Wright and Joe Mauer. I think those guys will eventually get in. Yeah, I think uh, I think you're right on right there. I mean, the, being in New York helps him a bit too, even if it was over on the Mets. I mean, it had that yeah, going think, against I him think, a bit. I, I personally think that Wright should have been uh, made the Mets captain, yep. and they should they should have done more for him. Uh, I just think he was an outstanding signer, terrific guy to meet. Um, and he carried the torch well for the Mets. It's just, yeah. unfortunately, the Mets don't do the right thing for their players. You have Ed Cranepool. Why isn't his number retired? Mm-hmm. You have stuff like that. So who who knew? Who knows? We'll take a look at the uh, opposite end of everything here. We've got Gary Sheffield is on his final possibility of uh, getting in here. He's been uh, 10 years now. It's a guy with 500 home runs, but Game of Shadows, his name shows up very prominently in there. You know what? But we still have... You know, as as I've heard quite a few times, and may Ralph kind of rest in peace. Uh, everybody ask him, Mike Piazza's first words out of his mouth was steroids. Mm-hmm. You got a bunch of guys that are in there. You have the commissioner, Bud Selig in there. You have Ricky Henderson. You have, you know, you have Piazza. You've got a bunch of guys that did do steroids. So they didn't do as much or they weren't as outspoken as other guys. You know, why not? Gary Sheffield was just as good, if not better, than a, a lot of the other guys. And I think he's. I think he should have been in years ago. So that's an interesting one there, because I mean, you look at somebody like Barry Bonds, for example, is kind of the poster boy for all this. And to Actually, me, Barry I, Bonds is an interesting one. Mm-hmm. To me, Barry Bonds. I mean, I could make a case for him being in, because I mean, you look at up to ninety nine. The allegations on his uh, steroid use came around two thousand or so. He was already at four hundred and fifty career home runs by that point. To me, that okay, I can make a case for uh, somebody like Bonds, for example, Sheffield. I can kind of go either way on. So. Bonds is an interesting one. I worked for ESPN and was traveling the country with memorabilia and telling people what stuff was worth. And I got interviewed by a guy in San Diego. And he was telling me that when Bonds first was in the minors, he would practice with the one-armed band in the pitching machine. He'd go in front of the home plate for hours in the minors, just hitting home runs off it. And he, he was a serious hitter. You know, he really took it seriously. And he was a Hall of Famer, like you said, before the steroids. But what happened was he saw Sosa and Maguire all juiced up and in all those home runs, he got kind of jealous. So he said, you know, if they can do it, why can't I? And that's why I think Bond should have been a first ballot Hall of Famer from day one. Him and Roger Clemens. Clemens was a Hall of Famer forever, you know, before. So I think, unfortunately, we we pick on these these players Um just because they did, you know, did stories for a couple of years when they had Hall of Fame stats way before. I, Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds, to me, are, are synonymous as the faces of steroids, yet their careers before steroids was Hall of Fame caliber. So, mm-hmm. you know, let them in already. Eventually, you and I aren't going to be around, and those guys are going to get in. Yep. And the same yep. thing with Pete Rose. Pete Rose, you know, being a Hall of Fame once he dies. I remember meeting Ron Sano. A couple of years before he passed away, when when I went to L.A., the Cubs were at the hotel that we were staying at. And I had a nice conversation with Ron. And he said, you know what? I know they'll let me in after I die. And I said, you're right, but you should have been in. 
you know, yep. you got all the fame stats. And that, that's the, the, the ironic part of all the Hall of Fames mm-hmm. is they don't, they don't really respect the, the players as much as they should. They put them in after they pass. I mean, what, you know, it's nice for the family to say, Oh, my husband or my brother or relative is in a Hall of Fame now, but you should have did it while the person was alive. So yeah. Let them have a chance to enjoy it. it. Yeah. Uh, so moving into the guys who have one to three more potential ballots left. We mentioned, uh, Billy Wagner earlier on. That's a guy that, you know, had a great career, a great closer, but uh, I don't know. 400 saves is a nice number, but ultimately, what did it get him? He got stuck on some really bad teams in there. Yeah. Yeah. He was stuck with the Mets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think he should be in there. Yeah. How about a guy related to Gary Sheffield here? We've got Manny Ramirez has a couple more ballots left on his uh, his existence there. 500 career home run guy, but two positive story tests. This one isn't even like speculation. This is, you know, we know that he did it. Where do you put somebody like that? <laughs> you know, Ramirez, Ramirez, I think of Ramirez, and I'll have to do is I'd laugh. Mm-hmm. You know, his stats were good. Uh, he was a great player, but he was a clown. Yeah. You know, and I think that that has a lot to uh, to do whether or not they should be in the Hall of Fame. So I would say, based upon his statistics, not his personality, I would say he should be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. All right. How about a guy like Andrew Jones? I mean, this is a guy who's, you know, 400 home runs and has never been tied to any kind of steroid allegations like that or anything. Ten gold gloves along with it. Again, I mean, gold gloves can be rather subjective at times. And yet he keeps on coming up short somehow. Any any thoughts on him or insights on him as to whether he'll get in, why he's not in, anything like that? I think if you look at his his overall statistics, I don't think he's I don't think he is a Hall of Famer. He was just a five-tool player at that time, and he was terrific. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. All right. Actually, let me pull up it. You know his his stats. I'm just curious what his lifetime BA was and his RBIs. I, I, I think I, that kind of kills him because it seems like his batting average is only in the two sixties or so. I want to say, which is you look at those four hundred home runs, you see that within, you just kind of go yikes at that point. Tell you in a second. Yeah. Here we go. Stats: Andrew Jones. 254 batting hours, 434 home runs. I didn't realize he had that many homers. Yeah, he I, was. I, uh, I know he led the league, I think, one year as well there. I, I would say no. 254 batting hours for 17 years. I mean, everybody gets on like Reggie Jackson for having a low batting average for his number of home runs, and now you've got Andrew Jones, who's even lower for his career. So, yeah, I can I can definitely see the criticism there for sure. Um, He had almost he had 70, 75, almost 7,600 at-bats. Yeah, uh, I don't. I don't see it. I hmm. definitely don't see him being in being in the Hall of Fame. Got a, one that I really wanted to see get in, and unfortunately, he's not going to now. But Omar Vizquel was one of my favorite players to watch as a kid. Great fielder, twenty eight hundred hits, but his post career abuse allegations that have come out now kind of have uh, tanked him. If you take that out, though, would you have put Omar Vizquel in the Hall of Fame for being a great fielder, but kind of a compiler, as you've uh, mentioned before? That's an interesting one. I think he is a Hall of Famer. Really, I think I think his 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 glove was at that time period when he was playing was one of the best in in both leagues. Mm-hmm. So um, his hitting was light, but I think he, I mean, you got guys like Ray Shawk in the Hall of Fame, a catcher right. that what did he bat two fifty, two sixty, but he was a great defensive catcher. Yep. So I, I would I would say I'd be a, I, I he'd be one I'd vote for him to go nice. in. 
He's always a favorite of mine, so I'm always I'm always interested in getting the opinion on Vizquel anytime that uh, topic comes up. There, I I personally think he, like I said, his statistics were real were were there. Yeah, I mean, he was definitely a really good ball player. Mm-hmm. So moving to the guys who have between four and eight more ballots potentially left, and this is a guy that came up uh, briefly earlier on, Todd Helton leading the charge on that one. I think the only thing he has going against him is where he played. Yes, if you, if you take that away from. Uh, you know, the statistics, he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Out of all the guys that are on the ballot, he actually has the highest career batting average out of anybody that's on the ballot right now. 316 career hitter there. And didn't have the power with, that you'd expect out of Colorado, 300 home runs there. But still, I mean, he was solid just kind of all across the board. Yeah. I would say a Hall of Famer. All right. Going to your Yankees here. Uh-huh. Andy Pettit. How, what's, what's your opinion there? Because that's a guy, 250 wins, 2,400 strikeouts. But that's kind of, you know, Bartolo Colon level numbers right there again. I think Andy Pettit was a great money pitcher for the Yankees when he played. I think he was a terrific guy, great ball player. But when I think of Hall of Fame, I don't think of Andy Pettit. Yeah. Three guys uh, came up uh, kind of on here as well around that time that I think you and I are both going to agree that these guys I'm surprised are on the ballot still. And that's Bobby Abreu, Mark Burley, and Torrey Hunter. I'm shocked that all three of those guys have lasted more than a couple ballots. Uh, you also got to remember, there's been a bunch of guys, steroid guys, on the ballots at the same time as those that guys. I would, I would say that um, of the three, I mean, Tory Hunter was probably the the best, in my opinion, of the three. I, I would say they can be on the ballot forever, and they're never going to get in. Here's one that kind of goes back to a couple other guys we talked about earlier. Also, uh, still with several ballots left, he's only been on two of them, I think, so far. Alex Rodriguez. He's, I mean, another one who's put up some incredible numbers, been part of some really great teams, but there are a few clouds around him as well. I think there's no question he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah. yeah. His statistics just are off the chart. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a matter of his arrogance when he played. Mm-hmm. And I get that. A lot of people, you know, are surprised when I say this is that I've met Cheetah numerous times. I've met A Rod numerous times. I think A Rod is a really much nicer guy to the fans and to the public than Jeter is. I mean, Jeter, don't get me wrong. I love Derek Jeter, but I think A-Rod is just great. I, there's nothing I can honestly say about A-Rod that I don't think he, you know, I think he's great. I think, I think his fielding, you know, blew away Derek's. Uh, I think his, his, obviously his, his power was just amazing. Um, His, his base running everything. I think he was, at the time that he played with with G, you know with Jeter the same time period, I think he was the the number one best shortstop in both leagues at that time. Period, bar none. No. And I honestly don't think um, that you're ever going to see a shortstop be as good as A Rod was. Yeah, I definitely agree with you when it comes to the personality stuff. That I've had numerous chances to get both of them, and A Rod's the only one I've gotten to sign for me ever before. Right. So totally with you there. Well, Jeter, you just got to line up in a straight line. You got to, you know, it's pretty much regimented. And even then, he won't even sign. Right, right. What do you think of a guy like Jimmy Rollins? Four gold gloves, MVP at one point. Any chance for him at all? I don't think so. I mean, the Philly constituents want him in the Hall of Fame. I I think he's a nice guy, good, great ball player. But when I think of Hall of Fame, I don't think of Jimmy Rollins. I think of A-Rod, you know. You know, for shortstops. Mm-hmm. Two other names that are still on the ballot here. Uh, one of them, I think, I, 
One of them fits in with right with the Billy Wagner mold there, and that's Francisco Rodriguez. 400 saves, a 60-save season, but that's it. That's I, that's another one that I kind of look at, and I'm like, how is this guy still on the ballot as well? You may as well put him with Bobby Thigpen. He had yeah. one great year. Uh, I, I don't think so. Yeah. And last one to mention, how do you feel about Carlos Beltran? This is a guy with 2,700 hits, 400 home runs, three gold gloves. He won a Rookie of the Year award at one point. But he was also part of that Astros cheating scandal. And aside from that, just really didn't didn't really seem to stand out much for me personally, at least. I kind of think he will make it. I think his yeah. stats aren't great, but they're good enough to get him in. Mm-hmm. That's the interesting thing. I think he was he was he was one of the better players back in his in his day. Yeah. So I think I think on a weak ballot he will get in. Well, so far, I mean, we know what, for, uh, according to the, uh, there's a Baseball Hall of Fame tracker out there that Ryan Thibodeau runs. 45% of ballots have been made public so far, and right now, Adrian Beltre is sitting at 99%, Joe Maurer, 83%, Todd Helton, 83%, and shockingly enough, Billy Wagner's at 80% right now. Now, once again, there's only less than half the ballots there, but you're looking at three that have a really good chance. Wagner's probably going to drop a little bit in there. You may end up with a class of four just off the ballot here, which is... A little surprising to me. I mean, especially we've been mentioning Billy Wagner a lot here just because, I mean, he's kind of one of those borderline guys that you look at and think, eh, I don't know, and we're on the precipice of him possibly getting in. But at least those top three seem to be guys who definitely yeah, deserve that spot. Those, you know, yeah. uh, well, remember remember the, the Baseball Hall of Fame, all the Hall of Fames, it's all about the money. That and, is true. You know, they don't make money unless someone gets in the Hall of Fame. So yeah. that that's the difference between – uh between the fans vote and, and the and the baseball writers in the Hall of Fame. Anybody you think will take a uh, big rise in value or anything off of getting in there? I mean, a guy like Beltre, you look at and it's like, we've known for a while he's getting in, but how is it going to help guys like Maurer and Helton in terms of like value on the secondary market for anybody who's sitting on some of their autographs, for example? I think that they, all that stuff will go up they, yeah. by far, you know, definitely. <laughs> and also their, <clears throat> their pocketbooks will go up. Yeah, that's for sure. They'll also earn some serious money afterwards because, you know, face it, how many Joe Mauer shows have you gone to or, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're either one of them. Yep. Cool. Any other thoughts? We got, like I said, five more days till we get all this announced. Any, uh, any other thoughts on this year's Hall of Fame class? Actually, I think what they should do in these, in these, in these Hall of Fames is have, have a fan vote and a writer's vote. Yeah. And give the fans the opportunity to vote on, on the players. And, you know, because without the fans, you really don't have any, um, you know, any sports, period. Right. And I really think the fans should have more of a vote, more of a say who should be in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Because we, we're the ones that spent the money and went to the stadiums and watched them on TV and, and spent our hard earned money and, 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 and watched them for years. Yeah. So I think we should, you know, it's like I say, every time I, I post something about Roberto Clemente, I'm a huge Yankee fan, but I got to tell you, any right, any right field or any field outfield I've ever seen in my life, Roberto Clemente was miles and miles ahead of every one of them. He was the best all-around outfielder I've ever seen, from his arm to his, his base running to his, his power, his hitting. He, he just had it all. And I think that things like that, you know, uh, you know the fan having the fans have the vote because we've seen them and watched them more than some of these writers. Some of these mm-hmm. writers are only traveling around, you know, watching one, you know, playing with one team. Yeah. 
You know, let, let's say a writer that was only with the Yankees, you know, never saw A-Rod all the time, you know, at Seattle, only saw them play the Yankees a few times a year when they went to Seattle or when Seattle came to New York. Uh, I think that the, the the biggest thing would be let the fans vote also. I think that'd be great. I mean, like you said, we're the ones who are supporting the Hall of Fame. We're the ones supporting the players and everything. And yeah, it's just, I don't know. The game is ultimately for the fans once you come down to it, for sure. Absolutely, definitely. All right, well, once again, thanks, Les, for joining us here on uh, the More With Less segment here, and we'll have you back probably in three weeks or so and maybe do some of the uh, few appraisals here upcoming in a couple of weeks here if we can. Yeah, no problem. At some point. No problem. Great. Just uh, visit my website, leswellsportsllc.com, or, or just email me, you know, send some pictures to Drew or to myself, and I'll tell you what I think things are worth. All right, big thanks to Les Wolf there for joining us in that segment. We'll have uh, Les on about every three weeks or so. We're going to try to do a rotation. We'll have Les one week. We'll have a Collector's Corner segment the next, and then the third week will be uh, Clemente Lisi joining us to talk about some soccer and hockey. But uh, next week we'll talk a little bit more about who we've got on for Collector's Corner. But right now, let's go into Making the Grade. Making the Grade is sponsored by CGC Cards. All card grading, all in one place. Certified guarantee company, CGC devoted to the expert grading of collectible cards. Visit cgccards.com today. Making the grade is a summary of all the news from the grading portion of the hobby here. We've got some numbers we get in every week. And so, Lee, why don't you give us the rundown right there? We've got uh, info from each of the four major grading companies about how many cards they've graded and whether the numbers are up or down from the previous week. What do you got for us? All right. Well, we're looking at the week of January the 8th through the 14th, and we'll start with PSA. At a total of 307,100 cards graded, that's up 28% from the previous week. CGC looks like we're sitting at 47.8,000, up 161%, so a huge increase for CGC. Not sure if there's any significance to that, but SGC looks like we've got 37.6K, up 44% from last week. And then Beckett, we have 17.9K, so the smallest quantity with Beckett, but they are up 70% from the previous week. Fitting at 410.4k total. That's a lot of graded yeah. cards, and it looks like we're up across the board with everyone. Yeah, definitely good to see right there. And I know with uh, CGC, somebody mentioned that they had a big sale recently, so I'm sure a lot of people were taking advantage of that. And I believe for this week, a lot of them were from uh, card ga- uh, gaming cards that were getting graded. They got a major influx in those that helped boost those numbers there. But always good to see. I mean, CGC is a sponsor of the show here, and. You know, when we first started out, it was the big three grading companies, or PSA, SGC, and Beckett. And now CGC has pushed themselves right up there into the conversation to make it a big four. So really cool to see that they uh, had a really big week right there. Absolutely. And I've used, used CGC for some sports cards and gaming cards, actually, back when they were CSG before they absorbed both. And, I mean, I'm yeah. definitely highly satisfied. Just great turnaround time, great-looking slabs. I mean, just no, no complaints whatsoever with the process. Yeah, definitely. They have uh, they have established themselves quite well here early on. Uh, let's move on to take a look at a TTM Cast exclusive. This is the Big Three. This week's Big Three is brought to you by Gemrate.com. Whose cards are hot and whose cards are cold this week? Let's find out from our friends at Gemrate.com. The Big Three, as we said, comes to us from Gemrate.com. They give us all of our numbers here for the Making the Grades segment. And with the Big Three, we take a look at three players who have seen big rises and also three players who have seen some big falls in their grading numbers from the previous week. So taking a look at the guys who have gone up this week, Spencer Strider 
Atlanta Braves pitcher, a 98% increase, nearly doubling the number of cards getting graded by him. So I'm sure a lot of attention on him right now as we get uh, inch our way closer to spring training. Pitchers and catchers reporting in about three weeks, it looks like. Also up, Marvin Harrison Jr., a 63% increase in his cards getting graded. Just uh, recently declared for the NFL draft, and he's a guy who's likely to be a top five pick. I mean, you can almost guarantee he's going to be a top five. There's talk that he may go number one even. So everybody jumping on that name right there. And, of course, Mookie Betts comes in third, 40% increase on his cards. Dodgers outfielder looking to hopefully springboard off of the uh, big signings the Dodgers have had in this offseason and uh, see if he can get himself back into a World Series again. Uh, 2023 tops now saw the biggest spike overall. Flippers have found they grade extremely well. In fact, four of the top six cards graded this week were from the 2023 Tops Now sets. So something to keep an eye on there. Could the market possibly be getting a little bit oversaturated with some of those? All right, and for this week, as far as falling goes, it looks like we have Justin Fields, who is down 27%, and I'm sure you know there may be some uncertainty about his role moving forward, as I know there's a lot of draft talk with the Bears going after a quarterback potentially. We have Cristiano Ronaldo, who is down 30%, and Luka Doncic down 50%. Hmm. He's been kind of up and down a bit. Right. I mean, you know, I know the Mavericks are kind of hot and cold at times, but, you know, Mm -hmm. Luka Doncic is still putting up great numbers pretty much game after game. So it kind of makes you wonder what such a big downward trend in his grading is resulting from there. Yeah. I mean, it seems he's always been – I mean, we've had him on the rising list before. We've had him on the falling list before, and – I think that may just be, I mean, a case of playing for somebody like Dallas, who is a big market, but not as big as, like, the Lakers, the Knicks, the Nets, anybody like that in, you know, the New York, L.A., Chicago markets. So, uh, I mean, if the Mavericks have a great run, you may see him right back up on that uh, rising list there again once we come playoff time. But, yeah, we'll see. I guess it's just kind of what happens when you have a great player on a not-so-great team in kind of a medium-to-large markets. All right. It's kind of the ebb and flow of things with him, I guess, there. Yeah, exactly. So, once again, a big thanks to GemRate.com for providing these numbers. The Big Three is exclusive to TTM Cast. You can get other weekly and monthly numbers from them at GemRate.com and follow them on Twitter and Instagram at GemRate. Next up, let's give our uh, stamp of approval. I bet you're wondering, who earned this week's TTM Cast stamp of approval? Well, TTM Cast stamp of approval is a way for us to kind of show that, hey, we're not just interested in sports. I mean, there are times when it is going to be something sports-related, collectibles-related, anything like that. But we'll get into anything, TV, movies, food, drink, music. You never know what it's going to be. So, Lee, do you want to take this one first? We'll let you lead off uh, this segment here with your stamp approval. Sure, so I'll lead off with this one. So, personally, I'm a big fan of, you know, old obscure TV shows, a lot of old public access type things, and just kind of watching different compilations, just showing some of the real more bizarre out there shows that people would actually pay to air back in the 80s and 90s. Yes. And throughout looking for those, I've just recently discovered something that I just cannot break away from. I've probably watched 13 episodes of this over two days, but it's a public access cable talk show called Beyond Vaudeville. This show ran from 1986 to 1995 on New York Public Access Cable. And the best way I can describe it, it is just like a talk show fever dream. Just You really just have to see it to really understand it. But you've got just a very awkward host, very stoic co-host, and just their interactions are just so uncomfortable, but yet you can't look away. And a lot of their guests, they actually have some crossover with Howard Stern's, you know, what was it he called them? The Whack Pack, I believe it was. Yes, the Whack Pack, yeah. 
Right. People with just very strange, oddball talents that appear on the show. And actually some reasonably recognizable celebrities like Al Lewis, who's better known as Grandpa from the Monsters, actually makes an appearance on one episode. So it's just uh, something you just kind of have to see to experience. There's several episodes, probably upwards of 50 or so on YouTube for free. So if you want something to check out that's just incredibly awkward, but yet kind of like a train wreck you just can't really look away from, check out Beyond Vaudeville. I think it would be well worth your time. Oh, that sounds great. So if you're looking at any kind of, you know, these uh, old local shows and everything, have you come across Big Chuck and Little John out of Cleveland at any point? I have not seen that one yet, but I will put that on the radar and see if I can track it down because just the title alone, that sounds like something I would like to see. If you tie it into, like, all of its kind of predecessors that have kind of gone on this, like, flowing one right into another, into another, into another, it is the longest-running local show in TV history because it started out back with... uh, the guy Goulardi back in the 1960s hosting Shock Theater. And then that led to this Laurel and Hardy and Goulardi, which then led to, I think it was the Big Chuck and Houlihan show, and then into Big Chuck and Little John. And uh, it was, I mean, these two guys who never really expected to ever get into TV, and then here they are hosting this, you know, weekly show on WJW out of Cleveland, where it was, usually they would, ho- they would have, like, you know, some kind of, Really crappy B-movie, but they would do these skits in between and everything, and it just became this thing of local Cleveland legend. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure you can find some clips out there and such, but, uh, yeah, it's definitely worth checking out as well. It was uh, interesting, interesting times there for them to, uh, for all the stuff that came out of there. Oh, for sure. I'll definitely have to keep an eye out for that. You know, public access television is just such a moment frozen in time, you know, just mm-hmm. the fact that you could literally pay a network to just air whatever you felt like. Yeah. All right, well, that's a great one there for the uh, stamp approval. And uh, all right, I'm going to go with mine. Mine is I have added yet another instrument into the uh, into the fold here of stuff. My wife is standing over there shaking her head as I talk about this because I have said this is the last toy I'm buying for a while. So, uh, But I have added a lap steel guitar to my repertoire, to my arsenal, whatever you want to call this. I picked up a rogue lap steel from Guitar Center. So only $150, which is a great you know, entry-level model for it and such, but it uh, came with a stand and a case and everything. But it's kind of cool. I just like the sound that this thing gets out. I'm just going to play a little bit real quick here just to you know, give our uh, listeners a little chance to... If they don't know what a steel guitar sounds like, you've probably heard it before. It's used heavily in country music and bluegrass, occasionally some blues, and even some rock stuff. Uh, so, I mean, the Allman Brothers were really known for it. But uh, just to give a, give a little sound example here, I really like how this thing sounds. It's really cool. So here we go. I'm not really great at it yet. I'm uh, still definitely working on it there, but you can kind of get the idea. Hopefully, hopefully that came through on here. I don't know how high up I had the volume tuned on this, but I'll go back and dub it if I absolutely have to or something. But yeah, it's been fun to mess around with. It's so different from a regular guitar and... Uh, yeah, I mean, that's my stamp approval for the week, is adding a little bit more uh, different sound to my musical collection here. And just, uh, yeah, it's fun to work with. Lap steel guitar, my uh, TTM cast stamp approval for the week. Very nice. I'd like to get a picture of the whole arsenal together for us to look at soon. I'd like to. That's, I mean, I've got, God, I don't even know. How, I'd have to put them all out on the bed probably to be able to get a shot of all of them at once just about. But, yeah, I might have maybe, to do that at some point there. Pictures. Yeah, that's that's probably going to have to be the way I go with it there. But uh, I did find there's this great website called, uh, um, what was it? 
I'm blanking on the name of it here again. I should have looked this up beforehand, but it's uh, musicians can list like their all their gear that they have on there, and they'll even have like famous musicians. You can like if you know a know a great musician's gear rig or something, you can post up all their info on there and such. And so there's a few like famous ones that I follow on there, but I post up like a list of all the stuff I have on there. Which I mean, I look at that and I'm like, all right, this is this is about to get out of hand. I better stop right here now for a while. So. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 been fun to compile all this and uh, just have you know so many different options that I have on stuff now. Which uh, now I just need to find a band again. I guess that's what I need to focus on now. Fill in the blank. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, so that's the TTM cast. Stand for approval for the week. Next up, let's go on to the Vern Rap Minutes. The Vern Rap Minute is dedicated to the memory of Mr. Vern Rapp, former Major League ball player and manager. Our show's founder, Jeff Baker, accidentally mailed him, not knowing that he had already died. And so uh, we provide this as a memory of Vern Rapp and an assistance to collectors out there so that they don't mis- make the mistakes that we have made and actually sent to somebody who has already passed away. Uh, first one to talk about this week, Bill Voss died. He was an outfielder from 1965 to 1972 with the White Sox, the Angels, the Brewers, the A's, and the St. Louis Cardinals. Excellent TTM. We're all the way up through December. Bill Voss was 80 years old. Then we have Glenn Cochran, who passed away this week at 65 years old. Played in the NHL from 1978 to 1989. A tough, rugged defenseman. Had stints with the Philadelphia Flyers, Vancouver Canucks, Chicago Blackhawks, Edmonton Oilers. 411 career games played, and in 411 games amassed 1,556 penalty minutes. He's actually third in the league in 1981-82, only trailing behind Paul Baxter and Tiger Williams, which anyone who knows anything about enforcers, that's certainly two guys that could rack up a lot of minutes in their own right. He was an occasional TTMer, but as far as Cochran goes, just someone who just looked the role of an enforcer, I don't think you could get anyone who looked more the role than Glenn Cochran did. Absolutely. And, I mean, you mentioned uh, Paul Baxter there. He led the league that year. He was one of the... There have only been four, play, four times ever that three players have broken the 400-penalty-minute barrier, and Baxter did it that year. So uh, 329 for Cochran that year normally would lead the league, and now he ended up third that year behind a couple of tough ones. Uh, we lost Jerry Hilgenberg this week as well. Jerry was, uh, he was a college football player, played from 1950 to 53 as a center for the University of Iowa. He was actually drafted by the Browns, but then uh, ended up going into the Air Force instead of playing in the NFL. Once he came back from the Air Force, he was a coach for a long time, but uh, his brother and two of his sons played in the NFL. He was a rare TTMer, though. Uh, Jerry Hilgenberg was 92 years old. We have Norm Snead, who passed away at the age of 84, played in the NFL from 1961 to 1976 for the Washington Redskins, Philadelphia Eagles, Minnesota Vikings, New York Giants, and San Francisco 49ers. Four Pro Bowls over his career, and in 1972, led in completion percentage and was also second in passer rating. Mr. Snead was a good TTM through about 2018. 
This week we also lost uh, Dejan uh, Milojevic. That's been a big one making the news right now. I know the Mavericks and Warriors canceled their game last night or postponed it due to his death. Uh, Milojevic was an assistant coach with the Warriors, died of a heart attack in uh, I believe it was in Utah this past week when the team was out in Salt Lake City. He was a former player in Serbia, Spain, and Turkey before becoming a coach. I don't have any info on him as a TTMer, but uh, Milojevic was only 46 years old, so very uh, young there comparatively. As uh, I'll say, I mean, when uh, my wife and I saw it this week, we were like, okay, that's it. We're going to start uh, focusing on heart health a little bit now after uh, seeing that death right there. Right, and if I recall right, I believe they said it was actually at the team dinner as well, so just terrible. Yes terrible you know event there yeah right around the whole team and everything is definitely that tough way to go unfortunately uh last one for the week we lost uh peter shickley which is this is kind of a personal favorite of mine and uh unfortunately that we've lost him here peter shickley was a composer music parodist humorist and historian mostly known as uh, you know best as pdq bach if anyone out there is familiar with any kind of classical music humor there was the joke that he was the uh of uh, of Johann Sebastian Bach's 20, 20 odd children, he was the youngest and the oddest. But he wrote a lot of parodies of uh, classical music, including a piece called The Abduction of Figaro, The Concerto for Horn and Hard Art, and The Erotica Variations for Band Instruments. Very uh, much worth looking that one up on YouTube. There are a few uh, clips of like legitimate orchestral musicians playing it, and it's just hilarious to watch it. Uh, he's also the inventor of the dill piccolo, used for playing sour notes, and also the trombone, which is a combination trombone and bassoon with the disadvantages of both. And if you go on YouTube, look up, there is a video of an orchestra playing Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, and he and another guy are calling it as broadcast as though it's a sporting match, throwing in like injuries and penalties and all this other stuff along with it. Absolutely great, hilarious uh, video to check out, so definitely do that. But uh, Peter Shickley, dying this week at the age of 88. So for anybody who has uh, lost anyone this week, our condolences are with you and with, the, of course, the families of all these player, players and people we have mentioned in this uh, segment. Uh, next up, let's move on to our TTM returns. Was our mailbox full this week? Let's take a look at this week's TTM returns. All right, well, it's the main reason why we all are here, why we have the show, why you're tuning in, our TTM returns, and unfortunately, my mailbox, for the second week in a row, has come up completely empty, which... Uh, Really kind of sucks when you're making a podcast about TTMs and you have no TTMs to talk about. Oh, do you have anything outgoing currently? Yeah, gonna. I've got. I actually just mailed out a bunch on Tuesday here this week, so uh, hopefully those will turn around pretty quick. I've I mentioned in my uh, article on Sports Collectors Daily a couple of weeks ago that I was going to try to get out 300 across this year, and uh, that's still the goal. And I think honestly, I'm going to try to average 10 a week. I'm going to try to push to be able to hit 500 if I can, which I mean. Knowing in, in the back of my mind that's that's probably not going to happen for very long, but I think 300 for the year is definitely a solid goal. And uh, I've decided to start typing now because, I mean, Jeff always typed all of his. We were talking to Troy last week as the uh, main co-host, and he said that he types all of his as well. And I'm like, you know what? I might as well just go ahead and type mine as well. I mean, that's, cause that's the biggest thing for me is I'll get my cards pulled out. I'll get my envelopes addressed, and I just sit there and I kind of go, God, I don't want to write these, and it's easier for me to type it. So I've switched over to typing now, but a few notables I mailed out. A couple of former NFL linebackers, Ken Harvey and Kyle Clifton, are both uh, just went out. A couple of baseball players in Roy, Royce Lewis and uh, Kelly Gruber, just mailed out to them as well. And one hockey one that went out, Ray Shepard, since I need him for that 88-89 top set. So 
hopefully we'll start seeing some return starter rolling in this week here. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Well, all I can tell you on Ray Shepard is good luck because I've sent to him three times when I'll see like a batch of successes pop up, and I mm-hmm. have managed to not get him across a single one of those. Oh, so I'm not sure if Ray Shepard came across someone else named Lee Alexander at some point in life who just really crossed him the wrong way, but I just have not had any luck with getting him back. Yeah, yeah, that's I noticed that too, but I'm like, all right, I mean, I need him for the set. He occasionally signs. I might as well throw it out there and just hope for the best and... Maybe, I mean, hey, he may sit on for a year or so. It seems like there have been a few kind of longer responses there. But either way, I might as well try it. I mean, it's not doing me any good just sitting here uh, in a box at home. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, you've got any, uh, anything out right now that you're hoping to come back? Anything you've gotten back recently at all? Uh, nothing, back, nothing back recently. You know, being here in the southeast, we're currently under a pretty significant freeze in which we have actually not had our mail run in six days. Prior to that, I'd sent out a few requests here. I'm actually kind of putting a little more focus on basketball as far as the 80s, 90s era than I previously did. Mm-hmm. I sent out requests to B.J. Armstrong and Lenny Wilkins. I mean, if you collect basketball autographs at all, there's absolutely no reason to not send to Lenny Wilkins. He's such a great all-time coach and great TTM. Or That's one of those that's kind of silly that it's taken me this long to get around to it. But sent those two requests out. Uh, sent out to Pat Sheridan, former Tigers player, still kind of halfway poking around at the RBI baseball collection, so trying to nice. track down a few guys who are good signers from that set as well. And I've got a few hockeys written up right now. Haven't actually made it to the box with them outgoing yet, but trying to kind of get my average up. Like I mentioned initially, it's kind of been on a little bit of an unintentional sabbatical with sending anything. So if I can get at least five a week out, you know, maybe over the next couple of months, we'll start filling the mailbox up again a little bit. Yeah, it's definitely a good goal to have there. Going back to Lenny Wilkins, you mentioned there, it's very rare in any sport that you find somebody who is Hall of Fame level as a player and as a coach, and he's one of the few that uh, that was able to do it as both. Right, and just such a such a wide span, you know, during the playing days and a part of the Dream Team coaching staff in 92, just a guy who has been around for a long time, Certainly no shortage of material to get signed by him out there either, so that's always a plus as well. Yeah, that definitely helps me. So many of those coach cards of him, and of course, I think his first regular card as a player came out in like 61, so you're dealing with, what, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, four decades that are possibly worth of cards that might be out there on him. So, yeah, wide variety, just like you said there. And you know, it's funny with basketball TTMs from the 90s, it's not nearly as large of a pool as you get with other sports, but you just look at the Cleveland Cavaliers from the early 90s, and there's just such a large portion of that team and its starters who signed. I mean, Mark Price, Greg Elo, Larry Nett, Lenny Wilkins, those are among some of the most consistent signers of the entire era, just all right there on the same team. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's my squad right there is those early 90s Cavs. As soon as you mentioned Mark Price, I'm like, oh, there we go. That's That's the guy. So, yeah. I talked to uh, Troy earlier this week. He sent me a picture of his outgoing mailbox, and he had a stack of probably about a good, somewhere between 50 and 100 envelopes going out. So hopefully we'll have a lot of info from him coming up over the next few weeks as well. well I think it's about, uh, I think we got through everything here. About, uh, might as well go ahead and wrap this one on up. So a big thanks once again, Lee, for joining us here this week. Good to have you on as co-host. We'll have you on probably next week, and I think the week after that as well, while uh, Troy is out. So, uh, Good to have you around here once again. Yeah, sounds great. I appreciate you having me and looking forward to being back again. It was fun. Next week, we will have our uh, Collector's Corner segment. We'll be joined by Amir El-Malawani. Amir and I actually went to high school together, but he has a uh, 
product coming out that I think uh, some collectors out there might be very interested in. So uh, we're going to talk to him a little bit about that. Lee's going to rejoin us as well. So once again, thanks for tuning in here this week to TTM Cast. Wishing you many happy returns, and we'll see you next week. Everyone, be good. Thank <laughs> you.